Okay, well this morning we're uh, looking again uh, at the scriptures, but not at the Galatian epistle this morning. We're looking at uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, a little bit of a change. It is harvest. I look upon this lovely table here and see so many wonderful uh, examples of God's faithfulness of the harvest, whether it be uh, uh, in, in, in tin form or in the dried form or in the... In various forms there, but all uh, wonderful examples of God's faithfulness and God's provision in harvest time. So we're looking at Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 1 uh, where Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable men who will be able to be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. Now Paul is uh, writing to young pastor Timothy, and he's writing during his second and final imprisonment. Paul had one detention under the Romans earlier on and he was at that time under house arrest. If you read the book of Acts you find there that when Paul was being faced with the accusations of the Jews he appealed to Caesar and because he appealed to Caesar he came under the protection of, uh, of the Romans as a uh, Roman citizen and he was basically under house arrest and uh, we read uh, at that time that he was able to preach and teach, he was able to have visitors, Acts 28, 30 tells us that for a whole two years Paul stayed there in his own ha rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So that was Paul's first uh, imprisonment under the Romans. But at the time of this second epistle, some five, six years later, AD 66 probably, Paul was in chains and he was treated like a criminal. He was probably in some dark dungeon, he was probably some overcrowded prison. And it's a wonder that he was able to write and able to want to write or able to write in that situation. He tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, 
that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul was in this dark prison, we suppose in chains at this time, but uh, worse even than that, he had been deserted by everyone, he tells us, in Asia Minor. In chapter 1, verse 15 of this epistle, he says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Figulus and Hermonogy. I'll get it in a minute. <laughs> Homogenes. Homogenes. And again in chapter 4, verse 16, At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood by me, uh, by my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. Like his Saviour, like Jesus himself, Paul had been deserted. His friends had disappeared. They'd gone into hiding, perhaps. Some of them perhaps had even disowned him uh, in the light of the threats, in the light of persecution. And uh, the fact that he had nurtured them, the fact that he had taken care of them and pastored them and looked after them, all these years, now they were gone, they were nowhere to be seen. It must have been a, a very sad feeling, a very heart-rending feeling for the Apostle Paul to be deserted in such a way. What's more, the church at Ephesus had fallen further into uh, corruption in theology and ungodly behaviour than had been the case earlier. Paul had warned the church leaders way back in the book of Acts when he was on his missionary journey in Acts chapter 20. He gathered them together and he gave a prophecy about the church at Ephesus. He said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer and know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And we find, if you look in the book of uh, the Ephesian epistle, that at that time Paul is writing with the upbeat to this church at Ephesus. He's writing to a people who he commends and he shares the wonderful truths of the gospel. And it's a, a wonderful letter, you know, if you know the Ephesian letter. But when we come to 1 Timothy, we find that Paul's first epistle to Timothy is telling Timothy to stand his ground against the, those who are trying to pervert the gospel, those who are bringing all kinds of endless genealogies and, uh, and conflicting ideas and uh, wrong ideas. He's telling to stand his ground and to, and to preach the truth and uh, not allow those people to continue to behave like that. But here in 2 Timothy, it's, the situation is even become worse now. It's even more difficult now. So not only is Paul in prison in this terrible situation, but he's got this burden of the Ephesian church and this burden for this young man, Timothy. Perhaps Timothy himself even had become weaker and uh, less effective because of the pressure that he was under as a, a pastor of the Ephesian church. Paul 
had been a father figure to Timothy. He speaks of Timothy in the scriptures as being his son, as Timothy, uh, as a father to a son. Timothy was the son of a, a mixed marriage. Uh, he was a native of Lystra. Lystra was one of the Galatian churches, and uh, we've been going through Galatia, so bear in mind that Timothy was, uh, was in that church at, uh, at Lystra. He was probably converted under Paul's first missionary journey, and in Acts chapter 16 we read of, uh, of Paul coming on that missionary journey. Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra, we read, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a, a Greek. Uh, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on his journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So we know that Timothy's mother was supportive. We know that Timothy's grandmother was supportive. They were both converted to Christianity, and uh, they both uh, encouraged Timothy, but it seemed that his father was off the scene, or his father was not encouraging him, and so it was that Paul becomes a, a father figure to Timothy and a great mentor to Timothy. And uh, Timothy is greatly used of, uh, of God. And uh, Timothy, we read in the scriptures, was first entrusted with the commission uh, to encourage the persecuted church at Thessalonica. And uh, then he went on to Macedonia and then on to Corinth. But it's as pastor of the church at Ephesus that he's best known and uh, Paul writes now to a rather frail and uh, timid young man to encourage him and urging him to take his stand and remain strong in his pastoral duties. So in 2 Timothy 2.16 these verses that we were reading together at the beginning there Paul presents four key elements here of a strong obedient spiritual life using the vivid analogies of the teacher, the soldier, the athlete and finally the familiar picture of the farmer. These are all very familiar pictures. Everybody knew what teachers were. The teachers were, were uh, in the schools and in the, uh, in the various, um, uh, both teaching in, in the Greek schools and uh, in, in the Hebrew schools and uh, generally teaching. That wasn't, uh, everybody understood that. The soldier, the picture of the, the soldiers, there were plenty of soldiers around in that occupied land. Uh, seeing them uh, at checkpoints and uh, marching along the road and in their garrisons. Everybody understood that. And athletes as well. Everybody understood the athlete because both the Greek culture and the Roman culture encouraged uh, athletics. And so people were familiar with the, with the athletes and the games and so forth. And then this fourth and this final picture that, uh, again, a familiar one of the farmer, the hard-working Farmer says Paul should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The farmer works to produce a, a harvest whereby he will be paid, often in part or in whole, with a share of the crops. That's how the farmers were paid. It was a, another familiar illustration of, uh, that people could relate to. 
the teacher had reward in enriching his students, the soldier had reward in pleasing his commanding officer, the athlete had reward with a trophy in the cheers of the crowd, but the farmer had reward by the first and uh, the best part of the crop. Now the term hard working is it's a Greek uh, word and it means uh, it, it's really if you expand the word it uh, talks about an intensity to the point of exhaustion so this Greek word working hard it means working hard with an intensity to the point of exhaustion the hard-working farmer the farmer starts his day this hard demanding work early in the morning and finishes late at night he endures the elements, the cold, the heat, the rain, the drought, all of those elements. He ploughs his field if the ground is hard or if the ground is soft and muddy. He cannot, he cannot afford to wait for the most convenient time. He cannot afford to put his feet up. The seasons will pass, the harvest is coming, he must work while he can, while the seasons allow him to do so. His days are numbered and he knows it. The harvest time is coming, it will soon pass. The work must be done while it is today. Remember if you're a Christian, you remember the hard work, the uh, uh, sad words in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 8 where Jeremiah is lamenting over the condition of the spiritual condition of Israel. Jeremiah 8.20 says the harvest is past, the summer is ended and we are not saved. And we are not saved. And so he's talking as a people about a nation that had a harvest time and had an opportunity and yet they, uh, the harvest time has passed, the spiritual opportunity had gone and they are not saved. What a terrible, what a sad situation that is. What a, a terrible thought that is, that, that people miss it, that people miss the harvest time. Now, every so often in your Christian life, you will come across very special people, very uh, exceptional people, exceptional characters. And uh, I recently attended a funeral service, not in person but on Zoom together with, uh, with Anne and uh, it was a funeral service of a Christian farmer his name was Brian and uh, Brian was one of two brothers who had a vision for a Christian holiday centre at a place called Kevin Lee in, uh, in Wales. Now you may know about that place, you, will, you may have gone to that place, you may have visited that place, it's a wonderful place and uh, um, you know, they, Brian was a, a wonderful man. I, I remember going to Kevin Lee over the years and, and seeing it develop from uh, a, 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 like a campsite with a, a camping field and some, and some caravans and a small kind of service centre, developing from that into a, a, wonderfully, a wonderful uh, centre um, uh, with um, log cabins and, and, and a huge... Uh, uh, center where people could hold conferences and uh, it, uh, it grew from from this small beginnings into this 
wonderful conference centre. And you, of course, you can still go. And a lot of churches they they take their um, they take their um, people there, and they hold conferences. And it's a, a wonderful place. And uh, I, I remember one day, you know, we were at the in the early days. Um, uh, Anne and myself, we've taken our, our children to Kevin Lee, and uh, I remember meeting uh, Brian. Uh, he was on his tractor, and of course it was still a working farm, and he was on his tractor, and it was a, a wonderfully sunny day. And if you know Wales, sometimes you don't get an awful lot of sunny days. But anyway, this was a wonderful sunny day, and, and Brian was on his tractor, and uh, he stopped to have a chat, and uh, we chatted for a while. And then he said, he said, well, he said, uh, I must be off. I'm off to make hay while the sun shines. And I thought, how cool is that? He's actually going to do that. He's actually going to go off to the, to the field today. He's actually going to make hay while the sun shines. He knew that there was a, a time, there was a day, there was a, a window of opportunity when he could get that uh, wheat in, get that uh, crop in before the rain started to come down again. And you know, it was the same attitude Brian had in his Christian life. He knew that he had to reach people. He knew he had to tell people. He had to share the message of the gospel while it was today. And he worked as hard as uh, proclaiming the message of Jesus as he did with his crops and on his farm while there was an opportunity. Now Brian became ill some 10 years ago, something like 10 years ago, but he defied all the doctor's predictions of a short terminal illness and he battled on for all these years and you know he battled on working all the way through that he worked on the farm he worked through the years until God finally took him home before he died his pastor asked him he said Brian how is it that you've been able to work so hard and so consistently even through your illness all these years all this energy through this illness how how are you able to do that and Brian replied and listen to this he said I, I have never worked a day in my life I have never worked a day in my life he said I have simply played I have simply played what Brian was saying not that he didn't take things seriously but what he was saying was that it had all been a pleasure it had all been a joy it had all been something wonderful that he he didn't moan about and he didn't complain about and he didn't think he was hard done by in any way he was pleased and joyful in doing it for Brian all that labor all that hard work as a farmer all that hard work as a Christian had been enjoyable and he had considered it all joy. The book of James tells us in chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. We read consider it all pure joy my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance finishes its work. So that you may be mature and complete. Not lacking anything. 
The secret of Brian's incredible life was not just the natural strength and the boundless energy that granted he had, but a deep-seated joy, not some glib or silly expression on his face or some endless repeated chorus line, but a deep-seated joy. You know, the, the, the teacher, the teacher, Paul uses these illustrations, the teacher often finds reward and motivation in the inspiring minds of his students, the soldier in the excitement and the glory of the battlefield, the athlete in the thrill of competing and the roar of the crowd, but most of the farmer's work is unseen. It's humdrum, it's tedious, it's unexciting. And unlike the teacher, the soldier and the athlete, he often works alone. No, stu uh, no students to stimulate, no soldiers to fight with, no athletes to compete against or crowds to cheer him on. And the Christian life is sometimes like this. It was a time like this in the life of Pastor Timothy. The sort of situation that he had to endure at the church at Ephesus, amidst the, amidst the challenges of that pagan city, the domination of the worship of Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians, the emperor, emperor worship, the magic cults, the philosophical schools of thought, the always challenging at an intellectual level. Even within the church, as we discovered earlier, there were problems within the leadership. There's some people going astray. Sometimes we, we think we've got it tough. When we read the scriptures, we read that it was equally, if not tougher, for them in those days. Being a pastor is, is no easy task. It is sometimes a teacher with the rewards of seeing people understand grow and mature in their faith. Sometimes it's a soldier fighting with others against the onslaughts of the world's religions and philosophies. Sometimes it's the, the athlete running the race of faith and encouraged by other people and the joy of, of handing over the baton in due course to, to others. What a joy that is of an athlete when he's run his race and he's contemplating handing over the, the baton to others who are faithful. Whether it's in pastoral work and you're looking around, looking for young men to, 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 to encourage into preaching and teaching and to enter the ministry. Whether it's in music with guitar or with, uh, with an organ or, or a tambourine. Thought I'd get that one in. It's all a matter of passing on those skills. Passing on those skills, handing over those batons, that's what the Bible tells us to do. You know, but often it's the farmer, often it's the farmer, isn't it? Working without seeing any tangible results for a time. Preparing the ground, planting the seed by faith, ploughing, nurturing, watering, dealing with the thorns that choke the new growth without notice, without attention, without companionship or acclaim. 
And this is true of every one of us as Christians. These are experiences we have as Christians, whatever our role may be within the church. Paul tells us in the Galatian epistle, chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not grow, become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul said in the Second Corinthians chapter 9, a promise now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and we will enlarge the harvest and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul concludes this section by saying consider this, consider this, consider these illustrations, consider these examples and learn the lessons says Paul from them. The Greek word consider means to perceive clearly, to understand and fully take in carefully. Be a hard-working farmer, Timothy, but not in your own strength, but like Brian, our dear brother who has gone on to his reward. Like Brian, strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. May we all this harvest time consider with gratitude the wonderful provision of the natural harvest. Give thanks for the farmers and all those who have been able to work and to bring these wonderful produce to us, but also Paul's exhortation to uh, be a Christian farmer, to sow, to plough, to nurture while it is today in hope of a glorious harvest of men and women before Jesus comes. May God bless his word. Amen.